1: Hey everybody, it's your L-shaped bruiser Holden McNeely.
2: I am a line piece, you need me to win this dumb game. (laughs) You need me for your life. It's a touch! Ah, just kidding, it's a their S piece, you don't need me
1: you Are fucked. Oh my goodness, Jake! And you are of course L- piece, the wizard. J-piece.
2: Jake. not a line piece. You are the wizard, Jake. You're never going to get that fucking piece. Fuck,
1: really? We'll never get the piece. Everybody, welcome. It's the Tetris episode of Wizard and the Bruiser. And I have to say this right off the bat: I was the person who pushed really hard for this, and it's because I've been playing the fuck out of Puyo Puyo Tetris lately. It's a fantastic game, by the way, on the Switch, and I've been playing it like crazy with Lexi. And I suggest you get it and you play it with Marie. We've been having so much fun. And I said, Jake, why don't we do a Tetris episode? We were talking about doing different video game series, and you know, I was like, that 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 feels like we should be doing one of those. And then, as soon as I walked away from you, I said, Oh fuck! Have I made a horrible mistake? Mm. Is it going to be possible to do a full episode on Tetris, or will we find that it's some shallow ass well of of no fun information? I'm going to say this right now. This is amazing Tetris is so fascinating Jake
2: this is honestly the most fun I've had doing research for an episode in months yeah it is everything has layers upon layers just like digging through each name we're gonna hear in this story goes like so much deeper and like the fact that this game exists to this day you know there's it's it's almost hackneyed whenever like a big website or magazine makes a list of the greatest video games of all time Uh you always make Tetris number one right but the fact is is uh, it's as close to a timeless game that the modern video game industry has created, like up there with chess or snakes and ladders, or right. just something that will like transcend. Easy history. to
1: learn, difficult to master. Um, just this perfect encapsulation, the the absolute perfect release game for the Game Boy, even in just how. Uh, uh, cartridges fit into the Game Boy <laughs> feels like Tetris. It is like literally made for the initial Game Boy release back in the 90s. And I'll tell you what, that is when I was introduced to Tetris and I, like along with pretty much everybody else in America. And man, did I play the fuck out of that game uh, on my Game Boy. It was just amazing. And, and, and it was, you know, we'll get into this, of course, but it was just a perfect game for adults You know, for dad to start uh, (laughs) borrowing the Game Boy a little too often, you know, and making the kids upset. You know what I mean? Like, it was the great adult uh, uh, game to bring adults in, you know? I feel like so many adults who look at video games and are like, that's just kid stuff. You will see them playing Tetris on their mobile phone that, like, it is just, it is a game uh, made for, you know... Everyone to enjoy. And I think that that's uh, one of the things that's so fantastic about it. Well,
2: in a famous meeting, uh, uh-huh. uh, Hank Rogers, who we'll get yes, into Hank later Rogers, in the story, talked the to Minaru Arakawa, the head of Nintendo of America, and pushed. And Hank was pushing for uh, Tetris to be the launch pack-in game with the American release of the Game Boy. And uh, Minaro said, like, hey, listen, um, you know, it's, it's fine. But, you know, Gunpei Yokoi, uh, the creator of the Game Boy, has also been working hard on his Mario game, Super Mario Land. And, you know, Nintendo games start with a, Mario, with a Mario title. You know, it's just how things are done. And Hank famously said that if you want boys to buy the Game Boy, sure, put Mario in. But if you put Tetris in there... Everyone will want a game
1: Famously he said I know what boys like I know what boys want (laughs) But I also know what adults like And I also know what adults want Okay.
2: But none of this would have happened if it wasn't for a friendly bearded man in Russia named
1: Alexei Pajitnov. Pajitnov, correct? That's how I say it. Oh, man. He was born in 1956 in Moscow in the Soviet Union. And he was quite the fan of a uh, mathematical game called Pentomino. He was really big into puzzles as a kid, really big into math. You see, they didn't have a lot to entertain themselves in Russia. So, mathematics was an entertaining hobby
2: to enjoy. Then. Well, I mean, a puzzle is basically the closest you get to a video game in a uh, bizarre post-revolutionary <laughs> pre-capitalist Russia.
1: He said, "I was a sharp kid," Pajitnov said, "and have always been interested in riddles and puzzles. And I even changed schools to join one with a special mathematical component. That was always the. T- uh, that was also the time of communism in Russia, and so we didn't have too much entertainment around us. And so intellectual mind games were a very good diversion. I saw this passion all around me, participated, uh, and children children used to compete in a kind of mathematical Olympics competition in which I participated a lot. This part of my life later translated into the games that I did. He was a graduate of computer science and uh, got a job at the Academy of Science. Um, uh, and uh, that is the Academy of Science was established all the way back in 1724 and uh, has evolved through the years. Um uh but but uh oh to talk a little bit more about pentomino these are tiling Wait, I'm puzzles.
2: sorry. Uh do you say pent So what do you call the tetris pieces? Tetramino. So I I this is we're going to start our first beef. I say Tetramino. and pentomino pentomino because uh here's the thing. Uh Tetramino is uh shapes made of four adjacent squares. Mhm. is five adjacent squares. And you know what the most simple shape can be? Domino. A Domino with two squares. But Pintomino sounds like a delicious Italian sandwich, Jake. But you don't play the you don't order from Domino's pizza.
1: Yes, I do. I always call up Domino's Pizza and Papa Jan's. Papa Racist more like it. Oh, oh, we're getting topical right now. They, they okay. replaced
2: Papa John with his woke like college professor lady is like, Howdy folks, I'm Papa Jan and I respect your identity. Jan, I
1: respect everyone's identity and I am all about queer eye so (laughs) we can just start that right now um pentomino i'll I'll go ahead and switch it because i think you are 100 correct is a tiling puzzle uh and game that was popular popular in recreational mathematics it is a um essentially a plain geometric figure formed by joining five equal squares edge to edge essentially think of a tetris piece but just with five Mm -hmm. uh squares forming it instead of four There are 12 different pentaminos, if you don't count reflections or rotations. They were formally defined by American professor Solomon W. Gollum uh, starting in 1953 and later in his 1965 book, Poly... Mm -hmm. Polyominoes, Jake.
2: Polyominoes.
1: Puzzles, Patterns, Problems, and Packings. Uh, That was the name of his book. Uh, He coined the term uh, pentomino uh, from ancient Greek pente, which is five, and uh, "omino" from domino. Uh, He introduced the general public to – it was introduced to the general public by American popular mathematics and popular science writer Martin Gardner in October 1965 in Scientific American, for which he wrote a mathematical games column. And I'll tell you this right now, Martin Gardner – that guy was down and dirty like a filthy, nasty dog. He would write that column and then he would have fucking dirty, filthy, dick-sucking competitions in the so, basement of his house. Alexi, so back to Alexi.
2: Sure. He's uh, working for the Moscow Academy of Sciences in the computer department. And uh, this is like, you know, he's part of a very prestigious team. This is like the same government apparatus that sent Sputnik into orbit. And as far as, like, life's in the Soviet Union go, he has it pretty sweet. He has a comfy desk job. He uh, has a nice apartment. He's genuinely a happy guy. And while he has access to these machines, he just, you know, just in his off time, he does some computer programming. And any, I feel like any uh, computer programmer will say that, like, one of the first things you do to kind of get... Uh, to know a system is You program little games You kind of program little Just fun objects To kind of like You know uh, Get get loose To kind of get used to the system He was working With uh, this Insane uh, Computer called The Electronica 60 Yes The Electronica 60s to, to A super Russian ass Fucking a, Basically a bootleg Of like a database terminal that was like used in the seventies, so like he was he was working with technology that was already ten years old, but it was Russia, and it was the best they could get um and here's so the electronica sixty isn't even like a fully fledged computer it's a it's a terminal it's you're supposed to just be like working through it on a much more robust uh system, so it can't display graphics it doesn't even technically have like a single cpu it has like these weird like separate logic chips that barely function barely any ram this is monochrome and all he has to work with are these just like text characters like brackets and punctuation and letters and numbers um But he has this idea. He was a fan of uh, Pentominos, and he had this vision of a game where, like, Pentominos filled a glass.
1: Well, essentially, it came from this. Uh, He's quoted to say, there's no technology in Pentominos. You just take the pieces from the box, play with them, and enjoy them. But when you want to put them back in the box, you can spend a couple of hours doing so, at least if you're stubborn enough to try. He felt that a two-player version of the game would would be good for testing Electronica 60. So essentially, two people trying to... To put the pieces back into a box. I thought that you could somehow divide the pieces, six to each player, and start to put them back into the quote-unquote box, and whoever was unable to make the next move would lose. And that is essentially, the box is that rectangular playing field, uh, essentially, that w- would end up being rectangular, at least. That um, uh, that was his sort of vision, just just literally putting these pieces back in the box like he did as a child. What so. the... F-
2: but the fault, like the falling system that he had ended up settling on, couldn't accommodate pentominos. Like the yes. shapes were too complicated, and there was no way to kind of like adjust and rotate the pieces to fit well. And so he had the brilliant idea: what if four squares?
1: What if we went with four squares, tetrominos, essentially? Uh, and that definitely, definitely was a big, big part of it. Also, first, I needed to create, he said, an environment, some kind of graphical procedure to visualize the play field and the pieces. However, at the time, this was tricky because my display didn't have any graphics at all. All I had were 24 lines of 80 alphanumeric symbols. He used open and closed square bracket symbols at first, which actually you can see this in games like we'll talk about Grandmaster later. They end up, there's a mode where if you're doing really well, they turn into those brackets there's Mm -hmm. some callbacks to this kind of bracket system uh he also he created a 10 by 6 play field and he created a mechanism to position flip and rotate the shapes so at this point, the game's ended pretty quickly, even if you made it no mistakes because the game field would fill up pretty fast, so Alexi sought to fix that. My original idea, he said, was to create a long, narrow well that could scroll. But after thinking about this, I didn't like the idea. It was difficult to get scrolling working on my machine, and the player would also have to remember that uh, what was already on the board. I didn't think my simple mind game should be that complicated." Uh, He realized that once a line was complete, it didn't need to stay on the screen. So that's when he started to realize, like, how about I make this line disappear uh, so that you you could keep playing um, as it got harder and harder and harder. All these things are coming together uh, uh, kind of within one day. Uh, essentially, he said, "I give such details about the game, but all the decisions were done in one day in a couple of hours." Claims Alexi. In reality, somehow all these decisions were made so naturally; it just sort of came to him. Which is funny to me because I know that that's a case with like songwriting and things like that it can also be the case with me with like writing sketch. Like some sketches or songs you like labor over for hours and hours and hours, and then sometimes songs just happen in like. a a matter of minutes, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think that that's kind of what Tetris was for him is the way that he describes it. And that's really fascinating because it's such a monumental game and it seems like it really just kind of flowed out on, onto onto the screen for him
2: There's We're at a point You know, this is 1984 A very important year uh, A young Jake Young was plopped into existence Moist and screaming uh, <laughs> But this was an era where A computer game could be formed Like a song It could just kind of arrive Fully formed in your head And you can just kind of tap it out And it's done uh, As opposed to now where it's play tested And goes through years of revisions Yeah, and I mean It wasn't even
1: really up to him it, it it spread around russia so so quickly
2: easily yeah, i mean and easily. It's, it's you know first he uh first he just you know cuz everyone in his department was using the electronica 60s yeah and uh then his uh his friend vladimir pokilko uh, who was his like close friend and coworker and like, you know they would spend hours uh, drinking coffee and talking about what it means to be a puzzle. And you know just your fucking nerd friend because he's doing a lot
1: of psychological experiments and, and things like that. And when he gets a whiff of this Tetris game, he immediately really pushes to, to get Alexi to create the game, definitely make it happen. He, um, he wanted to use it for his psychological experience uh, experiments. So he was apparently a huge influence on Alexei making the game. And he's kind of a hidden figure in mm-hmm. this sense, which is kind of fucked up because of what happens to him later. <laughs> but it doesn't seem we'll get to that later.
2: Yeah, much later. <laughs> um, but he also had uh, more help. Uh, Vlad uh, sent the game to uh, his friend Dmitri. Pavlo- Dmitry Pavlovsky. Yes. And importantly, Dmitry sent the game to his friend, Vadim Gerasimov, who made the version for Microsoft DOS. MS God, DOS. I love
1: saying these names. They're just <laughs> phenomenal to say.
2: And uh, MS, the MS-DOS version is the one that, ev- nev- like within a month, had spread through Moscow. Because uh, it was on the most ubiquitous form of computer.
1: Also, Vadim is literally a schoolboy at the time <laughs> of this happening. He's a genius young programmer who was all about the pc alexi had had no practice with the pc literally the o- first one in russia had literally just gotten there and he had no access to it so um he understood uh uh, uh what vadim understood the os and um recommended to alexi that you know he move it over alexi gives him his code in the patent in, in uh, pascal which is the programming language language that he used and vadim transferred all two thousand lines of it to pc um, it, there was also color able to be added in uh, dos uh, to differentiate each shape even more and he added other features such as uh, including the ability to show the next piece uh, an option to make this square tetramino uh, tetramino an invisible phantom and settings that dictated the starting level and height of garbage at the bottom. Now, garbage, of course, is sort of when um, the game adds layers at the bottom that are junk, essentially, that you have to try to get
2: rid of, and garbage is kind of a the, the term for it. Uh- on the suggestion of a friend uh, Alexi gives a uh, sends the copy of the DOS game to the Hungary Academy of Sciences and that's how it finally escapes the USSR
1: but even in Russia when when it was there it spread immediately Alexi uh, says about this it was like a wood fire immediately every place where they had an electronica 60 my Tetris game was working there and I realized that maybe the game was not bad and should be ported to PC because that was the only way to show to the world Show it to the world outside of Russia. Um, He also said, but when I wrote the procedure for rotating pieces, it worked very fast and looked funny. Uh, oh, this is talking about the piece rotating. Okay, cool. What is this digression? If you frequently pushed a key, the puzzle piece rapidly rotated on the screen. This was so amazing for me. That sounds really ridiculous now, he laughs. But that uh, that was the first time I'd ever seen such stuff on the screen. And th- th- this I'm just bringing up uh, to go back to him first creating the game. That, like, literally he was doing stuff in the game, in, uh, you know, in the computer he, that he'd actually never seen happen in the world. I mean, just a piece rotating on a screen was like novel at the time. And it, really, everything about this game was incredibly novel at the time. Um, t- so when it got released, um uh, Alexi has this to say The release process was simple We just gave the game To a couple of our friends Within a couple of weeks I saw it everywhere On every PC in Moscow And within a couple of months We got a PC from Eastern Europe That was entirely empty Apart from MS-DOS and Tetris So now Tetris is starting to become Like almost standard on PCs All over the place. And they didn't really have many PCs at the time. Alexi says, "We didn't have many games on the PC, especially fresh games and puzzle games. Most of what I saw at the time were arcade games and they looked a little childish. Many people didn't feel good with that type of childish design, but Tetris was abstract and without any age connotation and so everyone felt fine to play it. In the 80s, computers were a relatively new phenomenon and some people were almost afraid of them. You never knew what would happen when you pressed a button." And Lots of programs were buggy, which didn't help matters. Tetris was very simple and accessible and it helped people get more familiar and comfortable with computers, which is amazing because I feel like it, it still does that for people. It is still one of the first games you might download on a on a newfangled smartphone. Mm-hmm. You know, like an older person who's scared of smartphones or tablets. You would be like, look, Tetris. That's something you could like learn how to use this tablet with, you know. And Game Boy more, was
2: no different. More especially, it was a game that you could play on your work computer. Like it didn't make like yes. it didn't make a ton of noise. It didn't make flashy graphics. You could just tick tac away mm-hmm. when you were supposed to be on your business machine. Mm-hmm. Um, let me introduce uh, one of the weirdest like core players in this story. <laughs> A uh, businessman by the name of Robert Stein Okay Uh, Robert Stein is a fascinating guy He is uh, a pioneer in CD-ROM advocacy He like uh, If there's you know If you had like an Encarta CD It was because this rich weirdo Was like pushing for uh, multimedia CD-ROMs Oddly enough he was involved in the creation Of the Criterion Collection Oh wow Yeah um, That's awesome. But one of his side businesses was a company called Andromeda Software. And what Andromeda Software basically did was just kind of roll through Eastern Europe picking up uh, PC games on the cheap. <laughs> and he was at a Hungarian Institute of Technology exhibition looking for games to license. And on one lone computer was Tetris. And uh, nobody really could lay claim to it because like, they just kind of set it up as like a fun machine but no one, he, uh, Stein couldn't talk to anybody, and uh, Hungarian like academics were like, "Yeah, wait, I think it's some guy in Moscow who technically made this." And Stein starts using a telex machine, which is this like very old kind of electronic fax machine kind of like email but way shittier and he starts like frantically contacting the Moscow Academy of Sciences trying to get a hold of someone Alexei doesn't speak English very well the uh, Academy of Science has never dealt with anything like this but here's this American businessman that's like pushing for this deal and so very roughly I think um, yeah Alexei sends back a message saying yes we are interested and would like to have this deal And Stein gets that and basically just says, like, hell yeah, I got the rights to motherfucking Tetris. Uh, Tetris pajamas. Tetris lunchboxes. Tetris for the Nintendo. Tetris for your grandma. Tetris the movie. Tetris the flamethrower. Tetris fever, baby. May the Schwartz be with you, Jake. (laughs) Yep. Um, and so he understood because he played it. He like felt the addictive rush. And, yeah. Uh, just, make just. your fucking rod so hard,
1: it'll break through a, a dog's body. It'll I mean, it's. Blast through a, make a hole in a dog.
2: It's the simplest dopamine loop in the world. Mm-hmm. A piece appears, your brain quickly has to make a decision, and he, like, the decision loop is closed when the block is placed. Yes. Boom. Decision made, commitment, dopamine hit. Boom. Next piece comes up. Decision, placement, boom, next piece. It is, like, so simple and so inherent in our brain. We like creating order out of chaos. And uh, Stein was the first, like, Westerner to, like, really get a hit of that fucking magic, and he knew he had a hit on his hands. Um, But if we've talked about this a few times before, uh, PC gaming in the 80s was way more complicated. There were a million different computer formats. um, You know... The Germans were using different computers than the Japanese. The Japanese were using different computers than the Americans. And every single individual standard had to be made by, an, like, had to be ported individually. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like you could just bust it out on Steam. And then, like, because it was made in Unreal, you could just port it to the Switch. Easy peasy. Um, so the first two companies to buy the rights from Stein were uh, Mirrorsoft and Spectrum Hologram. Yeah. Mirrorsoft... Uh, Was based out of Britain. Spectrum Hologram was a game dev. Spectrum Holobyte, I'm sorry. Holobyte, yes.
1: Uh, Game dev founded in Boulder, Colorado. Notable for making flight sims like the Falcon series.
2: And uh, both those companies were actually owned by Robert Maxwell, who uh, was a very skeevy playboy businessman. He uh, owned the Daily Mirror. Think like like, uh, like greasier Rupert Murdoch.
1: Yes, he was actually the first millionaire to have an airplane made out of cocaine.
2: Basically. But both of those companies were owned by uh, Maxwell, and uh, they were excited about the game. Uh, they wanted to, you know, push it out. But like uh, places like Broderbund, Electronic Arts, Activision had all seen Tetris and just didn't think that, you know, there wasn't a main character, there wasn't a lot of action. They didn't believe in this like adult puzzle game uh, aesthetic. Uh, but here's here's one of the first major things: is um, Stein flies to Russia like eventually gets the handshake deal to the rights and he, he gets the rights for Tetris for computers.
1: But he gets them from
2: who? This is
1: the problem, right? He gets them from... I think the wrong people, maybe? No,
2: okay, this is... this is. Uh, this we is...
1: haven't even introduced the Electrono, Electronorg Technica, or the ELORG, which is the state-owned organization with a monopoly on the import and export of computer hardware and so- software in the Soviet Union. It's controlled by the Ministry of Foreign Trade of the USSR from 71 to 89, and it retained the exclusive right to negotiate and sign contracts with foreigners and to draft foreign trade plans. And it's associated with the export of Soviet design calculators. And it's also essentially like... Anything that, let's say, Alexi made, or anyone else like, like if you're if you create something under like the USSR, it like belongs to them immediately. I they mean, essentially just th- own it.
2: Not to be fucking Johnny weed smoker here, but like the same could be said of Disney, of Google. Like even in, under capitalism, you're not necessarily uh, 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 granted the rights to your own creations if you're on someone else's payroll. True, true. Um, true. So, but yeah, but okay. So this is where things get complicated. So they, they own- Stein own. Tetris, essentially. Stein gets the rights from the Moscow Academy of Sciences. He okay. signs a very crude early deal, separate from the Elorg. It's when the Elorg gets involved yes. that, like, finally, like the actual beef of the Russian state gets involved. I
1: was hoping when we put our minds together, we could sort sort this out because it is very complicated. Yeah. This whole rights debacle over Tetris. Um, it is. It is so. There's so many different players, and there's so many different things happening at the same time as each other, and literal trips. As you just mentioned, there are other people that actually fly to Moscow to like sort all this out and try to just figure figure out what the fucking deal is.
2: Um, something uh, just I want to note is uh, Gilman Louis, uh, Gilman Louis of Spectrum Holobite, the American company, uh, is makes a kind of early first mark on Tetris when. Uh, in their marketing, they push the exoticness of Russia. They go on. They use like uh, Gorbachev and Reagan in their ads. They put um, what's not Saint Peter's? Uh, shit, shit, Holy Basil, the fucking onion church, the Russian onion church, yeah, yeah, and that all the big marketing, the
1: dumb onion church, yeah.
2: It's beautiful, but yeah, the Big I mean, Dumb yes. Fucking Onion Church. Um, uh, they use game, they use like taglines like, what were they up to behind the Iron Curtain? Tetris, the game that escaped the USSR. <laughs> um, and uh, respectively, uh, mirsoft 's PC version, home computer version is the top selling uh, home computer game in England. Uh, Spectrum Holobytes version is a top seller in America. And all this is going... (laughs) Uh, Russia realizes that uh, they actually have a hit on their hands and swipes up the rights and takes all of Alexei's files and it's all under the umbrella of Elorg. Uh, The companies that have it in America start licensing the rights to other shit. Yeah. So, um... They're, they're, no one's following the rules.
1: Yeah. Everyone is fucking up right now. Like, Alexi's making deals he shouldn't be making. No, like,
2: Alexi's fine. Alexi fine. is a he, precious boy. I Alexi, thought that he gave rights that he Alexi had no right to give. Alexi likes chess, smoking cigarettes, and, like, just being a good fucking citizen of the fucking proletariat. Known to have the first chess set made entirely out of cocaine. <laughs> um... <laughs> No, it's actually Spectrum Holobyte uh, released, just starts selling, uh, or no, MirrorSoft? I think MirrorSoft uh, sells the rights uh, for... American coin-op rights to Atari and Japanese coin-op rights to Sega, and okay. this is actually when a huge shift that's happens. Big.
1: Yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge section. We haven't even really brought back up Hank Rogers into this whole thing. Is this about? Are we about to introduce Hank Rogers here? Do we We're have some about to introduce.
2: Needs? So okay, basically, um, Elor Stein is like. Set off a chain of events that he has no control over. MirrorSoft is pushed the rights out, so now Sega has Tetris and Atari has Tetris. And out of the woodwork comes a Dutch born Japanese. Uh, game developer, like
1: Dutch video game designer and entrepreneur, he produced Japan's first turn-based role-playing video game called The Black Onyx, which, which had we had to have mentioned effect. in our final
2: and fantasy episode without Must. even realizing the connection. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he saw that wizard. We mentioned wizardry. Wizardry was the first like uh, computer RPG, and mm-hmm. it was a hit among nerds in Japan. But there wasn't a Japanese version, so he made specifically as a developer in Japan a RPG for the Japanese audience called yes, The Black Onyx which
1: which had a massive effect obviously on <laughs> on video games uh, to come. And also, he ends up taking a trip to the Las Vegas Consumer Electronics Show. This is an annual trade show organized by the Consumer Technology Association. It's held in January at the Las Vegas Convention Center. And he uh, goes by the uh, walks by the Spectrum Holobyte booth. Must have been a couple of fun booth babes there. You know, Lord him Men, you know, did mm-hmm. all that kind of thing the the game dev of uh, uh, that obviously that holds Tetris he he sees Tetris and he immediately is like hachi Magachi This is gonna be huge And I know exactly Who could use this game And he immediately Takes the game To Nintendo of America The head at that time Is Minaru uh, Arakawa There's
2: there's a few steps In between Okay But give it. basically He's so His whole deal Is the Japanese market He's this yeah. random Westerner That just is in tune And he knows How fucking huge The Famicom is Which the rest Of the video game industry Just kinda sleeps on Uh huh And so he's goes up to Spectrum Hollaby And is like Yo motherfucker I need Japanese home console rights. Yeah. Give me these Japanese home console you rights. You
1: fuck. Uh,
2: <laughs> Spectrum Holobite talks to Mirosoft. Mirosoft is like, oh, we already sold those to Atari. Uh, Sega also is making it. Do you want an edible?
1: Because yeah. I have edible. Like, it was just, they're all over the place. They're, they're clearly uh, uh, getting ripped up listening to too much Bob Marley album.
2: Um just- Finally, it's beginning to dawn on all the parties involved that something is fucked up with the rights to Tetris, and everyone knows this is going to be a huge moneymaker. They felt that addictive fucking plunk of the bricks on the floor. Uh, so, during a contentious meeting where... uh I just had a weird image of a person shitting out Tetris blocks. Oh, uh, it's welcome to my wake. It's called the Tetris effect. <laughs> when you imagine Tetris blocks shitting out of a human anus. Um uh, so in a very contentious meeting between Spectrum HoloByte and Mirosoft, the son of Roger Maxwell, Kevin Maxwell, is like, fellas, 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 I'll handle this. Meanwhile, Hank Rogers <laughs> is talking to, like, uh, Hideo Nakajima from Atari. He's talking to uh, Minaru Arakawa from Nintendo. He's, he just knows that a Famicom release of Tetris will make him money, and he just wants the fucking rights, and he can't get a hold of it. So... uh. Stein who also who realizes how fucked he is and wants to make sure that he has in writing that he actually has the right to grant these rights Maxwell the son of the cocaine billionaire uh knows that he has to get this settled for his company and Rogers a fucking loose cannon on his own also flies to russia yes
1: also um, makes a trip to russia um, and like a psychopath has no access he's literally there on a tourist visa he has no access to like mm-hmm. the ministry of whatever the, the ministry of foreign trade and all that kind of business and the elorg and he's literally just like going to try to take a meeting which by the way i don't even know if we've talked too much i don't know t- i didn't delve too deep into the political climate at the time but it is contentious at best it is not a easy place to talk to the government there's so much control over you know uh, everybody um um government wise it, it seems like essentially i mean with a with a phrase like the ministry of foreign trade like an institution like that it sounds like it's fucking 1984 essentially you know what i mean and 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 he's just there to randomly try and make stuff happen and he's a fucking is a nutbag he is also by the way um just happens to be a master of go the ancient chinese board game so one of the first things he tried to do is go to a local moscow go club to try and make a connection and he ends up beating the third best go player in the country <laughs> which did not help his situation at all <laughs> he's like like how crazy is that i mean You know, back then it was forbidden to talk to or receive money from foreigners, which meant he couldn't buy anything. He was freezing in Moscow's harsh weather without a decent coat. He was just like like completely out on a limb here. Uh, Nintendo gets him a translator, which may or may not have been a KGB spy. Apparently the the translator was very buddy, buddy and had a lot of questions about what he was doing there. He ends up convincing the ministry to take a meeting with him who told him that they had never given the rights to anyone.
2: Okay. So this is, so a lot, this is like a mythical day. This is one of those fucking (laughs) like legendary moments in video game history is this exact day in Moscow. Yeah. Um, at Elorg. Org uh, after bumblefucking and, like, not really understanding the deals that they had made, a new guy is placed in charge of the Tetris uh, rights, and his name is uh, Evgeny Belikov. And Belikov is actually smart. Belikov actually understands what's on the line. <laughs> Belikov understands all these fucking su- sweet foreigners are, like, trying to get one over on him. And he is prepared to play everyone off each other. This
1: would be such a great—I watched the movie The Death of Stalin last night, which was phenomenal, Oh, I really want way. to watch that. It's so good good, and this would be, in the tone of that movie, this would be such a good movie, just the attempt to get the
2: rights in Tetris in this day in Moscow. Keep going, Jake. So, he wants to fuck with Stein. Uh, He doesn't, like, he doesn't treat uh, Maxwell, Kevin Maxwell, like any bullshit, but who barges in first with fucking no meaning just shows up with like KGB agents being like a foreign man has appeared what are you doing Belikov would you like to attack or would you like to switch Pokemon we launch the nukes if you do not answer our fucking question Belikov (laughs) Hank shows up and Hank busts out a copy of he actually did uh, get the he like made a version of Tetris for Famicom that did incredibly well uh this is the bulletproof software version um And he's like, yo, check it out. We already made this in, uh, we might have skipped over. Again, this is a complicated story. But using Mirrorsoft's rights, he thought he could make the Famicom version. Mm. He plops it down in front of Belikov and is like, yo, fucker, how would you like this to be portable? It's the Famicom. It's Nintendo. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Like, we want to make money. You want to make money. Everybody wins. And Belikov just holds the cartridge in his hands and just goes, this is an illegal copy.
1: (laughs) Dude, and he's like risking his life at
2: this point. He could end up in some like Russian prison for the rest of his life. Showing up to fucking Cold War Moscow and being like, hey guys, I stole from you. (laughs) He's a psychopath. I couldn't imagine Without breaking a sweat, Belikov realizes what happened. And here's the thing. Legally, there's a reason why the Famicom is called the Famicom. It's because it's the family computer. Yup. Bitch really honestly truly if you understand computers and the law you could easily argue that the like the nintendo counts as computer rights because mm. according to the terrible contract that stein originally got from like the moscow uh, computer academy and that elorg tacitly like continued the it just said computer rights belikov without breaking a sweat just goes like i will keep this and you talk to me later runs to the archives picks up the contract and scritches out, like, computer rights to just home computer rights, okay. specifically demarcating consoles and coin-ops as separate entities. Ah. He then adds a bunch of fucked-up fees to the contract, hoping that when he has his meeting with Stein, Stein will be like, Hey, what's to do with these fees? And not even dispute the change from computer rights to home computer rights here's the thing next in line is Kevin Maxwell and (laughs) Belikov busts out the Nintendo cartridge and is like your company has its name on illegal cartridge what the fuck Kevin doesn't know bullshit about computers and he doesn't even like begin to think like oh well you know the Famicom's also he doesn't even fight it he's just like oh geez sorry uh I gotta go check with the accounts and fucks right out of Russia (laughs) uh Finally, it's Stein's turn, and at this point, Stein knows how deep in trouble he is. He knows how everything is just on the line. He's committed up to his asshole in all of this, and he agrees immediately to sign the contract with the updated terms with, and like even with the new fees. He's just like, I just need in writing that I'm the guy that actually can give out rights so I'm not sued to oblivion. Uh, in his free time... Hank Rogers uh, ends up meeting Alexi at a local chess club. Yeah. Uh, There's actual video of this meeting because Rogers was a weird obsessive that like took his camcorder everywhere. They totally hit it off. Mm -hmm. Alexi
1: then convinces... Uh, officials to go along with the Nintendo deal because they're like totally getting buddy buddy. Nintendo then sues Tingen uh, in March 1989 over the rights and this actually delays the release of Tetris on the Game Boy so now, now that Nintendo has the rights now they have to like protect oh, it. Oh
2: fucking uh, Howard Lincoln and Arakawa loved Rogers for doing this because they fucking hated Atari and Atari <laughs> fucking hated Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where we kind of get into this uh, hazy nostalgia about uh, Nintendo. We like to think of it as like fuzzy, you know, Miyamoto-san and like the woods of Osaka. Right, right.
1: He loved to explore <laughs> yeah. the cave behind his house. It had a goblin in it. Yeah. And that's how he came up with the game Ghouls and Goblins.
2: Um, oh, So much wrong in that sentence. <laughs> um, and they were also fucking assholes to work with on a third-party, uh, you know, from a f- third-party perspective. And Atari, through its subsidiary Tengen, uh, you know, hated that they had to bend the knee to Nintendo for so many things, you know, uh-huh. uh, the distribution, uh, licensing, all this stuff. Nintendo took a huge piece of everything... And especially the fact that, you know, Nintendo had taken over the American uh, home console market, which was Atari's, like, mm-hmm. gr- you know, former throne. Until they ruined it
1: uh, for everybody and almost destroyed video games forever. And then Nintendo came in and saved the day. But yes, they also... So there's the push
2: day. and pull. Is Atari were the ones that shat the bed. Yeah. And kind of forced Nintendo to take such drastic controlling measures. But Atari resented them. And so uh, they were releasing through TenGen. general uh, these bootleg Nintendo games. Basically, uh, if these are rare games now. They're collector's items. Uh, these black cartridges in weird shapes. And as part of a different lawsuit, Atari got the spec sheet for the Nintendo like rights management chip. That was used to like prevent bootleg games from getting released. Ah. They reverse engineered it and used their own version of the chip in these 10 gen games. Tetris being the most profitable, highest um, demand license that they had. Because it was the arcade game that they had done was very popular. And this was like going to be their golden goose. Nintendo fucking hated the fact that they went under you know, their nose and made these bootleg quality control chips. And now they've got the rights from Tetris from them. A giant lawsuit ensues with Nintendo and Atari at each other's throats. You know, everything from the rights to uh, the control chips, it all comes to a head, uh, and Nintendo uh, wins the suit. Or I think it was like a pre-suit deposition, technically, whatever it was, the judge ruled in their favor. Nintendo goes ahead with the Game Boy rights. Um, Roger Maxwell the British guy literally meets with Gorbachev to try and (laughs) shut the deal down because again cocaine planes he can do that yeah he can do it he's making up for the you know because his son chickened out as soon as shit got too real he's the
1: only owner of a liger
2: uh, I think that exists Um, and despite the pressure from up top despite his higher ups like saying like dude Gorbachev doesn't want this deal to happen Belikov stands his ground and is like listen I know, like, Gorbachev wants to be good to his friend, but you know what he likes even more? Fucking buckets of Nintendo money. (laughs) And Belikov uh, successfully negotiates the deal. Uh, The fact that Alexei is there with with Belikov to, like, kind of, like, give emotional support for his friend Hank uh, also helps it out. And when the smoke clears, when all of this fucking international bugaboo is over... Nintendo has the handheld and uh, home console rights in America for Tetris, and a phenomenon is born.
1: Alexi says, The Game Boy release was the most lucky moment for Tetris. It's what made the game a real phenomenon. Somehow, Tetris and the Game Boy were born for each other. They fit together so well in terms of form and design. If I think about it, I can't imagine two other products created absolutely independently that fit each other so, so well. Um, lubrication, lubricant, and uh, dildos.
2: Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> with, with you got a glycerin base or a water base on this? <laughs> I,
1: don't, I don't know.
2: You got to do a water base. People have allergies. You don't, I don't know, know what you're dealing What's doing happening
1: like. down there? I just go, oh, no, oh Lord, mm-hmm. oh help!
2: Um, <laughs> Tetris for the Game Boy in my mind is the definitive version of Tetris.
1: It is so important to. I have. Do you have a Game Boy memory? Oh. Game Boy was my first console. Game Boy was that I owned. I borrowed my neighbor's Nintendo to play through Zelda, which I think I've talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, I used to go explore the caves behind their house, and they found me there. God damn it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sick of these fucking caves. (laughs)
1: How many stupid caves can you explore? I mean, seriously, I tr- I keep trying to explore caves to get some million-dollar idea, and all I do is get a bunch of ticks.
2: <laughs> all this Lyme disease. All this
1: Lyme disease has gotten me real angry. <laughs> Look, I'm going to say this right now. I explore caves behind my house. Also, I borrowed my neighbor's Nintendo, and I remember the Christmas... Dude, I literally, it hits me so hard in the brain the moment I think about it. I remember running downstairs and we didn't see the Game Boy because they put it in a weird spot because it was for both my brother and I. Uh. It was like kind of in between our presents, and we had other presents because it was one of the best Christmases we had. I think I had um I think that's the year I got the Black Knight Castle, the Lego Castle, oh, nice. and some other really cool shit. But oh my god, when we were like, where is it? Where is it? Because we were like so excited to get it, because it was like the one thing we asked for, and then it was behind us, and we turned around and we saw it. It was a Game Boy. It had Tetris. It had Super Mario Land and some other, uh, I think maybe a a boxing game, maybe Blades of Steel. I can't remember what we had, but I remember definitely we had Tetris and I remember playing the fucking shit out of it, Jake. It was so huge. It was, everybody had it. Everybody was into it and it really was one of the first times you saw actual adults, like enjoying a video game I think more 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 so than than ever before
2: besides playing it um, on the NES for some reason because of the two-player aspect I ended up playing it a lot uh, on the NES um, I remember looking for my game boy this is like one of those hazy childhood memories where like everything is like covered in dust motes, and I don't actually understand if it took place in reality. But I remember, like, being confused that I couldn't find my Game Boy, looking around, like, the rec room, looking around my bedroom, and then finally, just, like, settling on my dad, who was just laden back on the couch in, like, under the sun of the window, just, like, having a blast playing Tetris. And it was this, like, weird moment of, like, connection, because for some reason, I had always just, like, you know, the the video games were kid things, Uh and adult things were like uh, golf clubs and whiskey you know <laughs> but like realizing how like that there was something powerful and 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 important happening with video games in that moment
1: I love looking at your notes right here I just see Alexei Pagetnov equals the guy <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, uh, so- one of the oh one of the big things in mm-hmm. the uh, mm-hmm. I just want to take this moment because I did a little bit of research and want to talk about this Uh, the NES and Game Boy versions were kind of a mixed development where it was uh, Hank's team at Bulletproof Software and Nintendo developers uh, worked together to make it. Uh, the music was from uh, Hip Tanaka, who also did, like, uh, Metroid and a bunch of other... Hip and,
1: Tanaka or Hirokazu Tanaka. Was Hip Tanaka maybe Hip his Hip Tanaka
2: is his, his version, fun, cool name.
1: Right. Uh, he... he is known for making uh, the music a uh, specifically, or especially rather, type A, which was based on the 19th century Russian folk song, Koro, Bien, Bieniki, Koro ben- B- Gorobiniki, uh, which uh, Gorobiniki were peddlers with trays who sold fabric, haberdashery, books, and other small. Literally, imagine being so
2: poor that your business was just having a couple of things and hoping someone would be like, "Yeah, I'll buy that thing." (laughs) Uh, It's actually a really tragic poem. It's about like the desperation of peasant life. It
1: tells the story of a young peddler who seduces a peasant girl named Katya one night in a field of rye. He offers her some of his wares as gifts and exchange for a kiss, and it is implied sexual favors. She rejects all but one of his gifts, a turquoise ring, resonant reasoning that having his wares but not him would be unbearable. The next morning he pledges to marry her when he returns from selling his wares at the market. The song's narrative ends here. However, the poem concludes, because it's based off of a poem um, that uh, of the same name by Nikolai Nekrasov, which uh, was first printed in Sovramen, Sovramen, Sovramen Nick Nobody cares about that part of the Wikipedia article. <laughs>
2: Uh, the one thing you need to but, know uh, about Nekrasov then... is that he was a uh, liberal academic, and uh, he was obsessed with like telling romantic stories of the Russian pez- uh, peasantry, and that kind of populist uh, lens was eventually made him a hero of much more famous Russian authors like Dostoevsky. The
1: poem concludes with the peddler being robbed and killed by a forest ranger whom he asked for directions while returning home with the profits made during his successful day at the market uh, after arrangements of Cora Bien- <laughs> uh first appeared in Spectrum Bites Apple II or uh, Apple two uh, GS and Mac versions of Tetris, the song was rearranged in 1989 by Tanaka to be the version we hear today. <laughs> and let's hear it right now. Mary, hit it! You gotta hear it, and it's been remixed a million
2: times. uh actually laments that uh, his game uh, kind of whitewashed uh, an important part of Russian folk history mm. uh, because he finds the song to be an important part of his culture and that now that it's just the Tetris theme yes uh, is you know he vaguely laments now that
1: electronica the- versions of it are played for people on Molly <laughs> at uh, music festivals. <laughs> Um, He's a little frustrated.
2: I was actually more of a fan of the Type B music. na 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 na, na 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 na, Also, right,
1: there's three types or two. I there was
2: uh, three types. Three type types. B was uh, that was an original composition by Tanaka. By Tanaka, right? Uh, which gives it a little more cool factor, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And Type C was based on a Bach minuet, mm. and nobody even remembers what Type C sounded like because it was kind of like a downer.
1: Ah, gotcha. It was
2: not a great. Uh, music. Uh, Fight Me on Facebook if you believe Type-C is a good <laughs> track. Let's
1: put it to a vote. Type-A, Type-B, Type-C. Let's see it on Facebook or anywhere where um, uh, products are sold. It's
2: a hit. Uh, Nintendo releases a million different versions. The, you yes. know, Tetris 2, Bomb Triss, Hat Triss, Word Triss, um, all kind of like with Alexis. Uh, seal of approval. They ended up yes. kind of using him as like marketing for a while. Well,
1: they created the Tetris Company, which is based in Hawaii, owned by Hank Rogers and Alexi paget That's
2: like a little, that's a little bit later. A little bit later. Oh, okay. um, I
1: didn't realize that was established much, much later.
2: Hank basically uh, feels a little bit of survivor's guilt mm. uh, because, you know, Alexi never made a cent from all of this. while no. Hank as kind of the, you know, he got a cut of all of this Nintendo money. And he lived like a king, so as a sign of goodwill for his friend, he actually arranged for uh, Alexei and his friend Vlad to finally move to Seattle and help him uh, at Bulletproof Software. They eventually formed their own company called uh, Animatech, which released a few kind of weird games. There was one called Fire and Ice hmm. that was kind of a puzzly um uh, first-person shooter kind of deal. Pandora's Box, which was kind of a mist riff with a lot of unique puzzles in it that has a weird, like, dedicated cult fan base. This bizarre uh, thing called Elfish, which was this, like, uh, basically it was a aquarium simulator and smart companies would just like put a bunch of gifts in a fake fish bowl and call it a day. Elfish is one of the most complicated algorithmically generated genetic simulations in the world. And you could like actually breed fish and it would in real time compile new creatures that would fill your bowl. Um, Literally on weaker machines, it would take a day of computation to create new fish. It was a bizarre product. You can find (laughs) clips of it on YouTube. Um, Alexei eventually settles in at Microsoft where he kind of makes a lot of uh weird little like those weird little games yes. in the Microsoft entertainment pack that you would like kind and of he scroll made through made
1: other uh types of tetris games too or other like spin-off tetris essentially games that were like based in on tetris a lot
2: of yeah top down stacking things wild snake got to yeah. got to appreciate wild snake yep um my nickname back in college um
1: just kidding my nickname <laughs> back in college was fucking was shithead
2: and then a funny thing happens, uh, the Soviet Union collapses. Yeah, that whole thing. Um and eventually uh the like just through the sheer cascading of like a lot of complicated things Elorg ends up becoming a private corporation. Uh Alexei has uh, some of the rights kind of kicked back to him and Hank and Alexei form the Tetris company which is the official um uh, uh, outfit That kind of licenses and controls uh, What Tetris uh, You know basically When you think of Tetris with like that purple Logo and the T-square Yes that, that
1: is, is the Tetris company They maintain a set of guidelines That each licensed game must meet For instance the button controls for game functions Must be consistent uh, They were actually originally partnered with the ELORG and at one point Was a 50% owner Until Rogers and Paget Nov. Uh, bought ELRORG's remaining rights, and that was only as recent as 2005. Um, they they were the ones that were essentially would send out cease and desist letters and things like that. And it was the late 1990s in which the Tetris company attempted to remove freeware and shareware versions of Tetris from the market by sending out these letters and claiming uh, both co- trademark and copyright infringement. Uh, one example is in August 2008, Apple Inc. removed Tris, a version of Tetris, from its online app store. They essentially um, tried to rein it all in. I mean, if you could imagine... How easy it would be to put out a junky uh, bootleg version of Tetris on any console or mobile phone or anything. So it's got they they definitely have a lot of work in front of them. You know, it reminds me of when I used to work at a um, well-known publisher for a while. I had to send out cease and desist mm-hmm. letters for books being um, uh, free online like free pdf downloads and stuff and it was it's just it's so hard to do i mean Mm -hmm. i couldn't believe i was the only person making these letters because i mean it was uh, in the company because it was so just i mean how do you even fix that how do you even clean that up but these they they really have gone after people to try to maintain Mm -hmm. the rights and and keep consistent versions of touch and i will say this
2: it's kind of a contentious uh thing because uh the Tetris guidelines are pretty strict, yeah. Because Hank and Alexi have this like vision of Tetris as their idealized version of the game. Uh huh. And before that, there was kind of a wild west aesthetic. There was yeah. like a lot of liberties taken with Tetris gameplay that previous games were free to experiment different, with.
1: Different random decisions made, or not random, but different uh, distinct decisions made that <laughs> that made the game very different, took it into some interesting areas as well that maybe weren't being played with.
2: As much. Uh, for example, all official Tetris games have to take place in a 10 by 40 square playfield.
1: Right. I mean if you could imagine like think of like a T-shaped playfield mm-hmm. or an uh, you know some kind of crazy a like pyramid. Oh, pyramid. Of, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. Um the tetram the tetramino colors are now officially uh, standardized. Ah. The uh piece pieces o- or the L whatever the line piece is always going to be always a cyan sci- yeah, always going to be blue. Um the square be- <laughs> yellow square. <coughs> the T piece There's no T-piece. Or the, you know, the, the yeah, the T-piece. Oh, you're right.
1: There is a T-piece. What am I talking about?
2: How else can you do the T-spin maneuver?
1: Exactly. How else are you going to do that maneuver? Uh, That's
2: always purple. Um, The uh, super rotation system that uh, officially defines how pieces can be arranged. Uh, Standard mapping of what each direction does. And even more controversial things like the ghost piece. Um, mm-hmm. the hold piece where like if you don't know where to put an individual piece you can kind of like shunt it, it aside
1: yeah I'm getting um, really into hold, hold piece strategy um, so I'm going deep right now
2: the seven bag random generator or the seven system which because no computer can truly have random generated numbers no matter how compli- like you can make it very complicated so that to the human experience it might as well be random but there's no such thing right. as a random uh, number in a computer world so the seven bag system kind of takes all seven pieces and rearranges them in like individual blocks so like for example the maximum you can go in between line pieces is 12 pieces it kind oh. of just uh, smooths out because you know you flip a co- you you can flip a coin a hundred times and in theory get heads a hundred times in a row it's unlikely but it'll happen and in order to minimize those kind of fluke chance encounters the seven sy- the seven bag system, I uh, can can uh, can ease that up uh, officially like how the points differ between uh, getting one line versus a Tetris uh, mm-hmm. Tetris is always worth eight times as much as a single. Line. Ah. Is, these are all like very strict standards. Yeah. Um, but like the original Nintendo Tetris doesn't follow these rules. Uh huh. Um, It's like none of the it's it's very odd. They're very committed to this to this like standardization, but none of the most beloved versions of Tetris follow (laughs) follow these exactly. Yeah, totally. Uh, Even the easy spin maneuver. Are you aware of this? No. Uh, At a certain point, the Tetris company demanded uh, that the block does not fall while it's rotating, and so if you are having trouble thinking of where to put a piece, you can just hit spin, spin, spin. And, like, hold it in place while you figure it out. Uh, Which a lot of people say, like, completely destroys the kind of anxious, like, blood-pumping versions, you know, uh, experience of the game. Right, right. Um, Which is why uh, now, in our modern age, in this world of high-powered gamers, there's been a split on the two divergent kind of roads for pro or at least championship-level Tetris playing. Mm -hmm. In America, there's the classic Tetris circuit where people compete... Uh, playing the old NES version which has its own unique challenges for example uh, the game becomes unplayable at level 29 and you can only get a million points so like literally there's a kill screen like yes, it's just it all falls a, up.
1: yeah you can finish finish
2: Um And so it's about, like, managing what level you're at and getting the pieces in order and, like, having perfect placement and getting as close to that million as you can before hitting level 29. And that has its own, like, unique techniques and um, unique techniques, unique techniques. (laughs) Um, And you can, like, see uh, The Ecstasy of Order, I think, is a documentary about American uh, uh, classic style Tetris champs Well. In Japan, a whole new beast was born.
1: Are you talking about Tetris the Grand Master?
2: I am talking about... Texas, Tetris the Grandmaster, Tetris Shirase, Tetris High Anxiety, Tetris Death Zone.
1: Dude, it is the coolest thing ever. Everybody needs to go check out. I'll, I'll try to link it on Facebook, the the first uh, American Grandmaster in Tetris the Grandmaster, because it's some of the most impressive Tetris playing I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, it's a series uh, by Arika. We've talked about them
2: before. Former Capcom guys mm-hmm. uh, that kind of spun off to make the Street Fighter... EX games, these
1: Street Fighter EX games, which by the way has received a new entry recently. Skull- Skullamania is back.
2: Skullamania is back, and he's ready and fighting EX layer. The Tetris Tetris
1: the Grandmaster has three main entries and a canceled fourth. Uh, The levels in TGM increase by one for every piece that is spawned and for every line cleared. The game ends at level 999 unless it's Shirassi mode, which ends in 1300. It has a playable credit roll after the end, which is required for some of the highest ranks. The ultimate goal of the game is to achieve the highest ranks of Grandmaster, or S13 in Shirazi by completing various requirements that take various levels of skill. Dude, it is insane. These pieces are fucking dropping at at, at, a, at a, a pace that is too fast for the eye. This credit roll challenge, literally what happens is when they are going
2: at 20. Uh, so according to the Tetris guidelines, like the fastest a piece can fall is about three times the standard speed. Uh, also, like 2.75 G or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Gravity. The, the metric they call it is gravity. Uh, Tetris Grandmaster at high level levels instantly snaps you into 20g which means it's falling 20 blocks like incredible like per frame it's insane
1: and in ta and tap master mode if the player reaches the highest grade of s9, before the end of the game and fulfills a variety of other time and line clear requirements, the credit role played will be the M role or invisible role. (laughs) In this role, the the pieces turn invisible as soon as they are locked. If the player does not survive the M role, they will be awarded the grade of M. If the player manages to survive the entire credit role, they will be given the grade of Grand Master. There are not many people in this world who are able to do that. I believe we only have one American Grand Master. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe things have changed since um, the video that I've seen Uh, most of them are Japanese people it is the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life to see pieces dropping faster than I could possibly ever be able to win a game of Tetris uh, at that speed and have them turn invisible as well while credits are rolling in the background of the screen it is completely Completely insane. I have no idea how this dude was able to do this. There's also really good uh, Games Done Quick showcases of the Grandmaster series. I would highly recommend looking those up. It is some of the most impressive shit I've ever seen in video games, period. I cannot believe how cool it is and how people are actually able to do it. I mean, th- the game the game literally gets to the point where, where humans are unable to continue because it's just dropping so fast and it's just so crazy. I mean, it is... Mm-hmm. It is Absolutely a marvel, and I love the Grandmaster series. I want to get a hold of it myself. I really need to get it.
2: It's uh, it's it's a bizarre kind of uh, vestigial um, uh, successor to. We mentioned the Sega arcade cabinet version, mm-hmm. and it was that like the it was it's a purely Japanese Tetris culture that bred this hyper fighting version of the game. Um, and it's it's you can, it it went like. There was like a there was like a famous showdown between like on TV between like this Japanese like schoolgirl and like this adult Chinese guy that went like hyper fast. It's just it's kind of amazing. Like the Tetris Classic uh, circuit and the Grandmaster circuit are just in two entirely different sets of skills, yeah. all based on falling blocks. Yes.
1: Uh, other little, other little fun tidbits. There's, of course, the Tetris effect. Um, the game being noted to uh, cause the brain to involuntarily picture Tetris combinations, even when the player's not playing. Um, this can also uh, occur with other. Kind of video game simulations with repeating images. It happens to me a lot with, uh, when I, if if I'm doing a lot of puzzles, Mm -hmm. um, I'll close my eyes and I'll see the pieces. Um, according to the research from Dr. Richard Heyer, um, prolonged Tetris activity can also lead to more efficient brain activity. It's supposed to help with lazy eye, apparently. Um, apparently it's, it can help you, uh, deal with, um, sticking to diets or quitting smoking that sort of thing they've had tests for that it's it's got some interesting beneficial um well it was brain, used in brain effects it was
2: used in psychology um studies because a it was like a simple enough computer program to run and b it was like one of the most stark examples of how a brain can like experience something new and unfamiliar and then immediately get into the zone uh-huh. And kind of, like, how the brain functions during high alert state and then how it can function even better in, like, a calm state. It's very fascinating. And
1: speaking of psychological experiments, let's talk again about Vladimir Kilko, who was uh, notable for really prodding Alexei to create his game and had a lot to do, is, is essentially considered by some to be a co-creator of the game. Well, um, he ended up having a lot of problems later in life. Um, It was pretty, uh, pretty crazy.
2: Uh, It was 1998. And the well, Alexei kind of settled into his career with like Microsoft and just kind of plodding along. uh, Vlad did not have an easy of a time. And he was uh, pushed to the brink and ended up killing himself, his wife and his 12 year old son, In some kind of mental breakdown. There
1: was a note that was released in 1999 that he wrote, and it says, and I quote, I've been eaten alive, Vladimir. Just remember that I exist. The devil.
2: (laughs) It's, um, it's... Sorry, I only laugh because that's so over the top. Um, you know, a lot of... This happens, unfortunately, a lot, um, uh, you know... Especially under duress and mental illness, a man can see a family as an extension of himself and therefore an extension of his failures. And only by destroying everything about himself, including his family, does he feel that he can, like, make up for whatever shame or anger that they're going through. Um, I don't don't have to say this, but if you're having uh, suicidal thoughts, if you're having uh, intrusive thoughts that you need to deal with, like you know reach out for help this is like there's you're not alone with it like it's just don't let it fester it's it's honestly it doesn't have nothing has to be as bleak as this and it was and uh, you know for Alexei this was his um best friend uh gilman Louie, the guy from spectrum holobite said uh vladimir was Alexei's sidekick you couldn't see one without the other um He would see the other side of any question Alexei might have. They pushed each other to make sure Tetris wasn't just a game for Russian engineers. And Vlad was very much a part of this story. And the tragedy is horribly sad. um,
1: So uh, a couple of uh, as we were wrapping things up here, uh, just to finish up, I think a good couple of modern versions of Tetris to recommend. Definitely Tetris DX. Which is the... Um, Actually, that
2: one's a little controversial.
1: That was a little controversial? I thought the DS version was apparently really good.
2: Oh, I thought you said DX, the Game Boy Color version.
1: Oh, my bad. I meant to recommend the DS version. What's okay. the name of that one? Is De- that Tetris one? DS. Tetris
2: DS. I think oh, I'm okay,
1: I think I meant to write that. Tetris DS apparently is a great version mm-hmm. of Tetris... Uh, uh, the 3DS version. Also, I have to say, Puyo Puyo Tetris. It's on everything. It's on the Switch. It's on uh, Steam. I think it's on the, on consoles as well. It's so good. I ended up playing an uh, arcade cabinet version of it at uh, GDQ, and that's kind of what spawned me to... Uh, get it on my Steam, and now Lexi and I play it like kind of every other night essentially. We'll sit down and play it, and I uh, highly recommend it to people. It's super fun. I-, I really haven't played a lot of competitive Tetris. It was always a solo Game Boy game for me, and it was so much fun playing it um, recently. Um,
2: I suggest you play the fucking crazy Mad Max version that someone had set up at Burning Man a couple of years ago, where there were literally cubes on fire that would light up as you played. That's fun. Um, also, I uh, Uh, Just one of the things that you said uh, Tetris was a single it can be played competitively, but as a single player game, it is such a brilliant concept because uh, something we talk about is the state of flow Uh that like games are at its best when you're not like overwhelmed, but you're not bored. Right. And Tetris is literally a game that like adjusts its speed to how well you're doing. So the like you start out, you're like, oh, okay, you're, you know, building up speed and like on. A gentle curve that you're just in that flow state until it finally breaks down. You're competing against yourself. You're fucking up. And then you get to clean up your own mess. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more satisfying than thinking you're on the brink of death with just garbage all below you from your own, like, chubby fingers, misplacing (laughs) blocks. And then, like, all of a sudden, you get the line piece. You get the square. Everything clicks into place. And the screen that was once irreparably uh, filled is, like, clean again. And you get a rush.
1: Feels awesome. I also want to give a couple of shout outs to articles I use, and I think you have a shout out to give as well, Jake. Mine is uh, Retro Gamer's article, The Making of Tetris. A lot of my Alexi quotes came from that, so shout outs to Retro Gamer. Also, Motherboard, which I believe is a Vice. Uh, site um, for uh, they had an article from Russia with fun how Nintendo got the rights for Tetris from the USSR. I got a lot of uh, great uh, info on Hank and some of the other fantastic characters and you have a f- fantastic thing everybody should check out. Oh,
2: uh, the Tetris uh, wiki was a lot of for like that nitty gritty sure. stuff that I'm sure we actually got a bunch wrong. Please don't get mad at us. Um, but uh, I actually the biggest source for me was um The Games We Play, colon Tetris, by first-second publications, uh, by... Brian Brown. It's a graphic novel about the uh, basically the story of Tetris and also the story of how games affect us. Mm. And it's a breezy read. It's cheap on Kindle. Could not recommend it enough. That's awesome. You absolutely have to get it. Looks
1: it looks great. You've been kind of uh, using it to uh, reference as we've been talking. It looks so cool, and I definitely want to check it out myself. And uh, I think that's it. I think that that's our episode on Tetris. I loved doing this episode. Blocks. Betrayal. <laughs> bitches <laughs> so much crazy shit going on in this episode in this story of Tetris becoming a thing I mean it, it's it's really incredible and it is amazing that people still obsessively play this game today I mean uh, you know uh, all the time I mean it's it's really uh, so simple it, it works so well to stand the test of time Uh, If you'd like to check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. If you want to support us further, five bucks a month, you get free content weekly from us. Uh, We're about to record some more of it right now. All sorts of stuff, interviews, great things like that. Um, And uh, we hope you check it out. Also, you can check me out on twitch.tv forward
2: slash holdenatorsho. You can follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung. And keep your eyes peeled on the Drawfee channel. Uh, there should be a real fucked up video that I, I uh, play a cackling skeleton clown in.
1: Fuck yeah. Fantastic. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, have a good one, everybody. And, uh, we'll talk to you soon.
0: Price drop time to shop, get to a Nordstrom rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. The legends are
1: true. We're overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes!